to episode 160 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 17th of January 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. So here we are, into the second half of January already. I can't believe it. There's lots going on in the news, though. Let's start with the age-old problem of funding free software, and recently a bit of drama with NPM where a developer of two quite widely used packages, Faker.js and Colors.js, decided to just deliberately fuck them up because people weren't paying him and he wanted to make a point. This is a really tricky position for these developers to be in. On the one hand, they are being, well, let's say exploited every day and they see many, many companies making millions of dollars every year off the in some part off of the work that they're doing Uh, and they look at their bank balances and i imagine they are pretty slim Uh, and to go through that sort of pressure all the time must be incredibly disheartening and at some point somebody's going to crack and i think that this is as much a mental health issue as it is uh, a financial issue and all of these developers who are working tirelessly on providing excellent quality software only to sort of feel like they are unsupported in their moment of need, I think is a a big problem for the whole software industry and and open source in general. Shouldn't companies just be hiring these people? Say you are a Google of the world, shouldn't you be hiring the people whose software your products ultimately depend on? It'd be nice. Is that what we want? (laughs) No, but I think they should give money to them, maybe. You don't need to be an employee to make use of, you know, all the big people. I'm not saying, I know loads of people use free software and can't afford to give everybody as much as they might do, or they might be from developing country or whatever. But let's put it this way. The large companies who don't pay tax should probably just, you know, reach into their pocket a wee bit and just throw money at this. I think there's a, a bit of a double-edged sword here to, to be aware of, which is that if somebody like Google, for example, start throwing money at a project, then sooner or later a company like Google will either be accused of or actually do try and steer the project in a way that they want it to go. And uh, that would be seen as being very bad and, and people wouldn't want that to happen. So it's it's really tricky. What? How does a company contribute a significant amount of money to a project without either being accused of trying to steal that project away or actually without trying to steal that project away? Maybe they just give them the money and say thanks and then just walk away and don't make any comment about it. Do it anonymously, I suppose, yeah. Just leave the money behind the tank, King's Cross Station, third <laughs> stall along. What we need is some kind of foundation, I feel. <laughs> Go on, tell me more. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. It's a real problem that we've talked about a lot. We don't really want the licensing to change and we've seen what happens with other developers when you know, a big corporation hires them. Basically, their responsibilities change or there's no guarantee that they won't. And yet there's no clear way through this. There's no obligation. Companies will always take, as they do with tax, the path of least resistance, opens them up to all kinds of complexity that they just don't want to deal with. And we don't have an easy answer. I think a foundation would be great that dealt specifically with this kind of thing, funding when there's so many millions or billions involved, but we just don't have it. Isn't the main problem here that there are just so many small pieces of open source software that come together to form the products and services of all these tech giants, and indeed all the software that we're using right now, just the Linux desktop right now, 
how many different separate packages make up that Linux desktop or a Linux server or whatever, it's almost impossible to divvy up the money properly, isn't it? Maybe we need a universal basic developer <laughs> income. If you can't meet that standard, then you get pitched in a bit. I don't know. I mean, far be it for me to sound like Karl Marx here or something, but I mean, something should be done that like, if something is used, even if it's small, it can be remarkably important. A bit like the PRS system in the UK, not Paul Reed Smith Guitars, the performing rights service, I think, where if you are a pub or venue or whatever that plays music publicly, a cafe even, you have to pay a certain amount per year. And then that all goes into a pot and gets divided up between all the musicians. But that's changing the license. Is it though? Well, I think we'd need additional, we'd need more words on the licenses that this software is released under. Yeah. I don't, no, I don't think, I don't think corporations are going to do anything voluntarily. And also, like to counter the fact that there are so many projects, I think that's the that's something that b- those big organisations take advantage of. It's the agility of the fact in there being so many projects because new things rise up so very quickly. They're able to take advantage of that by holding on to the coattails of successful projects without doing any of the R and D themselves. So, unless there's a, a legal framework for them to force them to do like like there is with PRS, I just don't see it ever happening. And I don't think there's a legal way forward. Well, maybe they could do something similar to the way Linux Foundation does their work, or maybe they could take it on. In fact, that it's a sort of brownie points type situation. You know, they love making themselves look better than they are. So could we not use that to our advantage, maybe? Well, that's what I was thinking. Shame them into taking part. But then they have to admit to using this software. And it's so it's it's only when something goes wrong, we often find out so many people are using things. Mm. I take one issue that Dan Goodin, who was writing for ARS Technica, had at the end of his point where he says, the ability for a single developer to throw a wrench into such a large base of apps underscores a fundamental weakness of the current free and open source software structure. No, it doesn't. It's called CICD, Continuous Integration, Continuous Development. What the hell are you doing just pulling it straight in for? That is the most ridiculous thing I've heard in my life. It's nothing to do with it being FOSS Project. Any project can do that. Even a proprietary library that you use can do that if you just blindly import the thing. Always have a staging position for these things, and then you're not in that position, I would say. This is total brainstorming, but maybe there's some kind of simple boilerplate code that projects using the GPL could insert that would need to be removed for certain people to use it under certain circumstances, and in so doing, they're forking it and they're making it available publicly. At least then that lets them track it, or at least that they have to then go back to the developer and maybe make their own contract with the developer to support the code or maintain the code with, the, with that boilerplate stuff removed. I don't know. Maybe there is a way. The only way involves blockchain, clearly. <laughs> well, that's what Chris on Linux Unplugged was arguing, but uh, I'm not 100% convinced, I must say. I'm just imagining there's some kernel module that tracks the usage of every binary you use and then <laughs> sends an invoice at the end of the day. Ah, oh, bastard, why did I do LS twice in a row? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you joke, but surely something like that could be a solution where it depends on your usage of it. That's proprietary software then. Just use per seat licensing at that point. I think we need something where you still allow the flexibility to use things where you can mm. have projects, you can use 10,000 nodes if you want to, and you know, do crazy stuff without having to think, oh, I hope I can get the budget to try this. Uh, and that's the big problem with licensing. Uh, like This has to be something where we say, 
the very, very top people can take a certain percentage out and just put it into the whole network for the good of the network. Because they're making a lot of money out of it, so they should bloody well pay for it, you know? I think what you described there is tax, Phelan. Uh, sort of. But keeping on the shaming thing, could it? I'm think, thinking my idea through now, could it be something that adds the use of an instance to a database, an online database that's automatically updated to show how many people are using this bit of code and the projects that are using it. So if Google use it for one of their apps, you'll see how many millions of people are running this code on their apps. And it just updates that accordingly. And that does kind of add some kind of, well, you know, you're using, you know, you've got tens of millions, billions of users, and here's the, here's the income of the project, maybe side by side on the same column. And if you don't like that part of the code and you want to take it out, then you have to have that conversation with the project. Yeah, but look how people react to any sort of tracking in free software. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Just not going to wash, is it? You could easily do it with proprietary software, and they probably do, but it just you can't do that with open source software. People just won't stand for it. Yeah. Well, maybe we could design it and it's a trusted, you know, foundation. I don't know. So Moxie Marlinspike is standing down as Signal's CEO. Absolutely nothing to do with the crypto bullshit that they have implemented recently that he is involved with. Yeah, I think you're right. I think considering we were only speaking about this a couple of episodes ago and then this happens and... Signal probably had an unprecedented successful year in 2021. Um, it does seem too coincidental to not be. Is it good or bad news for Signal? It's got to be bad news, isn't it? It has to be bad news, yeah. And also, I think there's a lot of people who would say that the fact that they've included a cryptocurrency means they're now subject to, well, FTC and various legal things that relate to money laundering and all those types of things. If you've got your own cryptocurrency, you know have brought that fire of analysis upon your crypto messaging service, which is probably not a great idea. Yeah, I remember that coming up when they first implemented the, the cryptocurrency stuff, and we hoped that they would sort of give it a rest. But that seems to be a path to monetization. And much like we talked about earlier on in the episode, monetizing and even just paying for developers to develop free software is very difficult. And this is a solution to it. So you, you can't really blame them for trying this because what other alternative is there? Signal is a great service. I use it now to only talk to a couple of people who aren't on Telegram. And I found it to be pretty good. And you can't just have some Russian oligarch pay for it forever. It must be very successful now, Signal. I'm, I've not given it enough thought, but there must be other ways to monetize it considering its influence, which don't involve, obviously, potentially opening it up to data abuse. They do have that donation thing that you can do to it as well, but it's like most things, probably doesn't get many donations. Yeah. I mean, I pay for it, but that's other people wouldn't pay for it, and that's the whole point. But then... We've talked about this before. I dread the fact that the signal might go away after all of our friends and relatives that we've convinced to switch to Telegram or Signal and then something goes away and they go, well, that's, we told you so. That's why we're still using WhatsApp. That's why I've not bothered. I've not bothered to try and convert anyone. I just talk to them on WhatsApp and just suck it up, just treat it like I'm talking to them in the pub. No, no, you make them come to the network that you're on if they want to speak to you. <laughs> that's why I've got no friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wikipedia is well funded. I know it has a completely different thing, but I mean, if there's enough funding from enough people like us to keep a project like Signal going, that might work. I could see that working within many millions of users and a significant minority of whom are prepared to pay. So what you're saying is that every time I open Signal, I want to get a gigantic banner begging me for money. <laughs> Maybe if it's, that makes a difference. It's open source. You could build your client to cut them out. Yeah, I suppose. And you couldn't blame them for doing it. Uh, I think it could be a little bit subtler than Wikipedia, maybe, and still be effective. But uh, yeah, or, or the Guardian telling me how many bloody articles I've <laughs> read that month. Well, especially when you look at Wikipedia's balance, it's quite it's all right, despite the fact that those uh, ads always make it look like it's on the breadline and about to go under. Well, you've always got to play poverty, haven't you? Mm. Same with Mozilla. I thought we'd get through an episode without mentioning Mozilla, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just inevitable, isn't it? Have they made the browser better yet, then? Ah, quite the opposite. <laughs> They're levelling up the browser. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they've backtracked on the cryptocurrency donations, although I don't think they should have. They tweeted, last week we tweeted a reminder that Mozilla accepts cryptocurrency donations. This led to an important discussion about cryptocurrency's environmental impact. We're listening and taking action. And then blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, we'll knock it off. This, to me, just seems like giving in to the mob, quite frankly. And uh, I said a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about this that it's fair enough to accept these donations. It's not going away, is it, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies? And okay, maybe shouting about how great it is on Twitter isn't a great idea, but just not accepting them, I think, is just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, you know, you could argue the same about your imperialist dollars. The thing that got me was that it felt like somebody at Mozilla didn't really understand the wider implications of what they were talking about, what they were doing, and what sort of reaction their direct community of users would have. Uh, and I think that that is part of the overall problem with Mozilla now is that a while back, and, and I dare say there are still a lot of good people there, but a while back, anyone who was anyone in the open source community at some point worked at Mozilla or knew somebody who had. And I wonder if now they are just a business being run by just people who don't really have that deep vested interest in open source, in the open web, and what they're actually doing is looking to pay the bills. And then crazy ideas like this are allowed to to go out. Whether or not they should be accepting crypto, I think, is a side issue compared to whether or not they should go on Twitter and ask people to send them and, and not expect the reaction that they got. So I think we talked about this last time, but it just smacks of somebody or some people not really knowing the, the history and understanding the implications of what they do. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux.
On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can learn more at latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact with us, show at latenightlinux.com. Let's talk about Wordle. This is a silly word game that has uh, gone viral in the last few weeks. I don't understand it. Well, what a surprise, Phelan, you don't understand it. <laughs> English being your second language. It is, yes. Yeah, at least English-English or whatever. <laughs> I didn't realize Klingon was also one of your languages. <laughs> it's like a cross between Mastermind and Scrabble. Oh, dear God, I want to kill myself now. I think that's going a bit far. I mean, I thought it was rock hard for the first couple of days, and then I got how to do it, and I've managed to do it every single day since. And uh, same with my mum as well. She struggled, but she loves these little silly games. Anyway, this is only on the web. Now, when a game goes viral like this, most people's first instinct is to look on their app store, whether that is the Apple One or Google Play for the app, because everything's an app nowadays. But this wasn't an app. This is just a website. I found it because my instinct was to Google it, but apparently I'm not normal. So obviously... A bunch of lazy fucks just stole this game and then uploaded it to the various app stores and tried to make money off it. One of whom smugly tweeted about how well it was doing and how many people had paid for the premium features like extra length words and more than one a day and stuff. There was a massive pile on on Twitter and then he's like made his account private at various points and then it got kicked out of the app store along with a, a bunch of other clones. But What's interesting here is not the game itself, but the fact that if you put something out on the open web for free, for the love of it, literally in this case, a fella made a game for his missus, and then everyone else jumped on it because it was great. But if you do that, you are really susceptible to people just stealing your work and monetizing it. And that somehow doesn't seem right to me. Because things should be on the open web. There's no reason why a simple little word game like this needs to be an app when it can just be a website. This is why I don't think anybody aiming for the amazingness that is the Apple and Android's app stores for Linux is really wrong. Because why do we want this? Because this is what it's like for everything. Every time you search for any type of app, there's about 50 different kinds. It's like, oh, look, how many fart apps do you need? Like, you know, I'm sure one is enough. But there's all these people trying to chance you out of money. It just seems to be, even though it's curated, it seems to be less so by the fact that it's all walled off. And they've been talking about the fact that, you know, a progressive web app could work equally well if you could register that name in the app stores and just have it go to the website. But Apple don't want you to do that. And they're making a statement that they're essentially penalizing this guy for not letting them get their 30% cut. I agree with all of that, but I think this is just the world that we live in now. And while you shouldn't have to, I think that if you are going to make something like this and it does seem to be getting popular, you should, I don't know, like imagine that that's what's going to happen and register trademarks and get yourself some sort of legal protection against the thing that you've poured your heart and soul in. Uh, now, I've no idea how much doing such a thing costs. I'm sure it's quite expensive. But it just feels like it was inevitable that this was going to happen. It's happened hundreds of times before. And I don't think that this is the first time we've seen a game like this. I think there have been other versions of it around previously. So, you know, I, I don't know. It, it was inevitable. And I think that 
if you just sat down and thought about it for a minute, then you, perhaps you could have registered a few domains or um, registered a trademark. And then you've got some kind of recourse to go to the app stores and say, somebody's infringing on my whatever it is, make them stop it. Well, you're right that this game is not original. There was a game show in the 80s, I think, and there was even a paper and pen game in the 50s, I think, that was very similar to this. But it's not about the game. It's about the implementation of it. And what he's done is, is made it really accessible. It's a really simple interface that's really intuitive and works really well. And it feels like there should be some value there. But I suppose you're right that maybe in not realizing the value of it, he's just set himself up for other people to take the value from it. Yeah, I think even if you set out without the goal of becoming rich from your idea, there's still like an, an element of property that is there that is worth protecting. I think if you're going to invest time and energy in a project, then you probably owe it to yourself to give yourself some layer of protection. Um, I have, Like I say, I don't know how much that costs, probably too much to be bothered by. And if you just did it for a bit of a laugh, then I guess you're screwed, really. Well, it's funny, there is actually another unrelated word game called Wordle that was not doing very well. It was only getting one or two downloads a day. (laughs) And then suddenly it was getting loads and was making a few quid. And the dev of that got in touch with Josh Wardle, who made the Wordle that is famous, and said, let's donate the proceeds to charity. And Josh said, yeah, okay. And so at least a couple of thousand dollars has been donated to Boost Oakland, which is a charity geared towards tutoring and mentoring young people in Oakland, California, according to The Verge. So maybe there is a happy ending to this after all. Hmm. Okay, bad news when it comes to gaming. The humble subscription service is dumping Mac and Linux very, very shortly. It's been an interesting story arc for the Humble Bumble over its, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years. It started off as such a great kind of enterprise to try and group games together, make you choose your own price and give a huge chunk of it to charity and always supporting Linux in those early releases. And then a little while in, they not every bundle had Linux. And then it became a kind of app store and competitor to Steam. And then it kind of became a key exchange. And so the subscription service on top of that, I don't know. And there's also a client. And I think this is to do with the fact that the client is going to become Windows 11 only. It doesn't surprise me, but it is. I think I'm sad for the uh, the loss of the original idea behind the Humble Bundle rather than the lack of Linux support. My interpretation was this was just around the subscription services. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just the subscription service. Are you saying I'll still be able to buy hordes of PDFs that I won't look at for ages and end up in some directory somewhere? Yeah, yeah, I think Thank so. God. And I think the bundles are still <laughs> going to continue. But it's definitely a backtrack, I think, um, in, in its... Uh, philanthropy gaming philanthropy there you go so what you're saying is we have exactly the same numbers there are of mac gamers <laughs> that's what i'm taking away from this <laughs> yeah possibly i mean considering the macs haven't had any kind of modern gpu hardware until the m1s it's not really surprising we are both equally useless to <laughs> just sounds like the typical capitalism entropy to me god there's a bit of a theme in this episode of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have a good laugh at Canon, who, because of the global supply chain issues and chip shortages, they're now forced to ship some of their ink cartridges without the chips. And it means that when you put official cartridges in your printer, 
it gives you all sorts of errors and you just have to say, yeah, fuck off, I don't care. And then it prints anyway. What? How will we know without the, the copy protection? We'll never be able to use and know if that ink is the same as proper ink that is exactly the same. I fucking had a lol induced hernia when I read this first time. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite funny, isn't it? Ridiculous. Absolute farce. The price per milliliter of ink is like it's the most expensive substance on earth. Yeah, as an aside, I've never understood cartridge subscriptions either. Who pays for those? Like, I think this hasn't affected HP because they really have locked down their printers. Just the prices have gone up, probably. What I've always done is tried to buy new sealed cartridges off eBay for people who bought a load and then their printer just stopped working and then they bought another one and they weren't compatible. But uh, then I got a laser printer and just never looked back. Well, I've got a Canon. It works really well on Linux, even the scanner. And I've been buying cartridges of eBay since the beginning, and they've all been fine. <laughs> and <laughs> now I don't feel guilty about it. Well, my interpretation was that these um, knockoff cartridges would all have worked anyway. You just had to go through some nag screens. Um, I, I had assumed that they just genuinely wouldn't work, which is why when you buy uh, like hooky toner cartridges, they've got some kind of... Uh, third-party chip literally glued to the top of it with some wires going down to the little connectors. Without them, I assumed it wouldn't work, but maybe that's actually a con and you just have to go through a few nag screens and it would have worked anyway. Do you not remember having to buy one of those cartridge resetters with like a, a battery in it that you had to put against the chip and yeah. press buttons? And so I, this is probably all nonsense as well. Mm. Or refilling cartridges have done that in the past. Mm. Oh, Jesus. It's a horrible job. <laughs> Why didn't I pick a cream carpet? <laughs> <laughs> right, quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. The first one, Plasma 5.24 Beta is out. Yeah, and if you're able to do testing, it would be a great chance now. for the, It's about a month away, I think, or maybe a fraction less at this point. Uh, but they've got loads of breeze improvements. The critical notifications are better. Graham, you use Pass on KD. Plasma Pass has been improved, new interface on it. Oh, excellent. I didn't know that. But, and yes, I do use it. That's really cool. And I keep meaning to do it for the last three years to move everything in there, but I still haven't. Uh, the Pick of the Day plugin has uh, some really cool art from uh, simonstaller.se. And he does some really cool sort of, I don't know, manga-esque, futuristic pictures. And they've also got inline help in K-Runner. Discovery's had a whole tidy up UX. It's got flat pack management and distro managed packages in there. And the fingerprint reader works f for enrolling your fingerprints. And I have a feeling that might be something to do with the phone coming. What's this Kava graphics and dev videos? So this is Ken Vermette. We, we linked him last time. He was doing some uh, drawing of wallpapers videos, which, you know, a very Bob Ross-like uh, open source graphics. Well, he's kind of made that a bit more of a thing now, and it's kind of quite cool. He's got a Kver, is his username. He does Kver Create and Kver Play. So he's doing ones where he's doing a lot of stuff on KD uh, icons and stuff like that, so you can follow along. Or he's doing some game playing as well. And he's going to do stuff like uh, developing FOSS games on the Godot engine and, uh, or Godot, I don't know how you say it. Uh, and uh, yeah, if anybody's interested in that, worth a look, stick it on the background. All right. Gnome app ID in KDE Task Manager. Yeah, so KDE's been trying to work on getting uh, Gnome apps to work better in Plasma. And this is 
a goal towards that where they're trying to link the app ID so you can know there's a lot of times where they're trying to use heuristics to try and map say if gedit was running so you could in the task manager you know uh, kill the process or monitor process and it's quite hard to do that the way the uh, system couldn't identify it as belonging to gedit so they have now started to use the application ID, which is all part of the sort of new Wayland properties setup, and that is using XD shell protocol, and then that allows them to match the applications properly so GTK apps can fit in properly and be controlled properly in uh, KDE. All right. KDE PIM updates. There is a huge PIM update, and I always like to promote that because anybody who says that Kmail doesn't work or contact is rubbish just needs to read that list. That's all the stuff that happened in the last two months, so good to keep going. Very important, but boring software. And what's this Dolphin thing? It's just an interesting where even things like a file browser, it was the Q Graphics view, uh, which allowed grouping and special plugins to work with various files. Kaiua worked on that. He ported over to the K file places view and deleted about 4,000 lines of code, which is about 10% the code base of Dolphin. And I think those type of improvements are pretty good. Everybody can appreciate them. So I thought that was quite cool. Right, well, links to all that in the show notes as usual then. We better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts of stuff, including our discoveries. Or is it Finds of the Fortnite? I can't believe we've fallen into that trap. <laughs> anyway, until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>